You are listening to a message recorded at Living Hope Church in Southwick, Massachusetts. We hope you find encouragement through God's Word today. This is the last Sunday in November, and the last Sunday in November is always the beginning of Advent season. You saw a little video at the beginning in which we focused on the four parts in which uh, Advent causes us to focus our attention on. We have an Advent wreath here in the front, and each candle represents a different part of the Christmas story. The purpose of Advent is threefold. It is first to commemorate the birth of Jesus. This is the season of Christmas. It's the season where Christ came to earth. So it's first to commemorate his birth. Second is to welcome God into our lives every day. And thirdly, to prepare for Christ's coming. I want you to think about that. So when we look at Advent, its purpose is to put our attention on his birth, his coming to earth, to celebrate Christ in our lives every day and to look with anticipation to the return of Jesus. There are four candles, hope, love, joy, and peace. Each one represents something that when Jesus was born, he brought into the world. These four things, interestingly enough, are four things that you cannot find within yourself cannot find these things within yourself. Hope, you can't hope in yourself. Joy, we usually find joy in something else. So when we're thinking about these things, these four gifts, they're gifts that we couldn't get for ourselves, but they need to be provided by someone else. Now, my wife and I earlier this week had the opportunity to go Christmas shopping, as I'm sure some of you have. But have you ever uh, been Christmas shopping, and as you are shopping, you see things that they put all the cool stuff out, like, right before Christmas, am I right? So you go through, and some of the deals are just really good. And so as you're shopping, inevitably, you find things for yourself as you're shopping, right? And so there are times where, they, where you're shopping for other people, but occasionally you might even pick up something for yourself because, you know, uh, you know this is a good deal or that's something I really want or, or that's pretty or that's really cool. And so you see that and you go, okay, well, I'm just going to get something for myself too. One for them and one for me too. So there are times where that happens and there's times where I've been guilty of that as well where we're supposed to be shopping for someone else but sometimes we shop for ourselves. It does happen from time to time. But I want to entitle this series, as we're focusing on the Advent season, uh, this series, Four Gifts That You Cannot Give Yourself. And the first one we're going to talk about is hope, is hope. Christmas season reminds us that Jesus came to earth and that he was God with us in human form, in, in the flesh, that there was a living, breathing Jesus that walked this earth. He's not some invention of uh, people's clever devices. He's not a creative religion. He's not a, uh, uh, an invention of people trying to understand God, but that there was an actual historical person named Jesus. And he came in the flesh. And this was a promise that God had fulfilled that he wrote long ago about. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, this is a verse that you'll often see on Christmas cards and on different seasonal greetings, but Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says this. It's a prophecy written 714 years or 700 plus years before Jesus was ever born. It says this, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name 
Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. This prophecy predicted that a virgin would give birth to a son and that not that his name would be Emmanuel, but that he would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. That his birth signaled that God has become a man and would live among his people. When Mary, the mother of Jesus, was found to be pregnant, an angel appeared to Joseph in a dream because Mary became pregnant before Joseph had actually uh, had relations with her. And so she is pregnant. Joseph's thinking about divorcing her quietly and not subjecting her to public shame. And so Joseph goes to bed, and he has a dream. And in a dream, an angel appears to him and says, Joseph, son of David, in Matthew 1, 20 and 21, says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will give birth to a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for you will save the people from their sins. Hope has a name. Hope has a name associated with it, and his name is Jesus, and the name Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua which means salvation. So Jesus' name means salvation. It was not only what his name was, it was what his purpose was as well. This was the hope that the people of Israel had been waiting for 700 years prior when Isaiah prophesied about his coming. Hope is a powerful thing. Hope is not something you can give yourself especially if you've lost hope. If you've ever lost hope, it's very difficult to muster hope within yourself because you feel like your situation is hopeless. There's nothing that you can look to that will indicate to you that there's any hope at all. In fact, things might feel hopeless in your job. You might feel hopeless in your family, in your marriage. Some of you might have had a great Thanksgiving in which you came back and it was a really good time with family. And some of us might have come back from a situation where the family was kind of contentious. There were some arguments, disagreements, some difficulty, and maybe things are even more strained and tense than they were before. And when you go through things like that, it can be incredibly discouraging. You can find an incredible amount of disappointment and there's not much hope to be had. Regaining hope is one of the most difficult things for an individual to do, especially once you've lost it. Now, what exactly is hope? Hope defined is hope that looks with expectancy to the future. Hope is defined as a feeling of expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen. You see, hope is based in a future event or thing. It's not something you can find in yourself. It can be something you hope to be a part of, but really it's outside of your control. It's also defined as a person or thing that may help save someone. I want to say that again, that hope can be defined as uh, someone or something that can help save someone. So whether you are having a life-saving surgery or you're getting a uh, kidney or a liver transplant, it's someone else who is helping you or saving you in your situation. That's the truth when it comes to Jesus, that Jesus saved us. He came into this world to save us from our sins. But it's also defined as grounds for believing 
that something good may happen. Hope is believing that something good may happen. And there are times where it's difficult to think of that, that something good could happen in the situation you find yourself or where you are right now. But hope does believe that something is good is going to happen in the future. The Bible tells us that hope is often paired with faith. Faith has to believe in something. And that belief has to be in something that gives that person hope. So without hope, faith is looking and searching for something to believe in. Hebrews 11, verse 1, it's a famous passage of the Scripture that we often refer to. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So faith puts its hope in something that may happen or someone who can save or someone who can help. You know, if you're in a dead-end job, you hope to get a better job. If you're in a marriage situation that's not great, you hope that things will improve and you work for things to improve. There is hope that works for the future and believes for something better and greater on the horizon. Faith needs to put its hope in something. We put our trust and hope in what the Word of God tells us. That's where we put our faith And our faith becomes realized, our faith becomes salvation, our faith becomes our security in Christ. They go hand in hand. Now, 1 Corinthians 13, 13 tells us, and these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. The Bible tells us that many things about this life will cease and come to an end, both good and bad both things spiritual and unspiritual. But he says three things that are going to endure no matter what, that when you leave this life, these three things, you can count on being there in eternity. Faith, hope, and love. Our faith is the key that gets us into heaven. We put our faith in Christ for salvation. Our hope is eternity and our hope will become sight because we will be face-to-face with our Lord and Savior once we cross heaven's shore. Once we leave this life, we will be in heaven and our faith will be sight. Our hope will be realized in that moment. And love, love is what brought us there. Love is what caused God to send Jesus into the world in the first place. It's the love of God that compels us to follow after him. Hope can be life-changing. Hoping can be realized when a longing is fulfilled. If you've ever been working towards graduation, if you're a student that has been working in high school and you're looking forward to graduation, that's a hope realized, a hope that will eventually be fulfilled. Or if you're working on your college degree, you're hoping for that day that one day you'll graduate, you'll finally be done with all of your courses and all the activities, and you'll exchange one set of stresses for another. So you'll go from like working on getting your degree to being working in that job in that field which you've devoted your heart and your effort and your life to so that one day that you'll be able to do exactly what you've been trained to do, what you've learned to do all this time. And that's the dream of many, that I can do what I've been called to do, that I can do what I've, I've always wanted to do, and now I can do that as a career to provide for my family. 
Hope is powerful because when it's a longing fulfilled, it's great joy. It's like when you have been single and you've been looking for that person to be your soulmate and then you find that perfect person and then you become engaged to that person and you, you find a great deal of hope in that individual. And then the hope for the future, that day that you're going to get married and that hope for a family and the hope for settling down and having a life of your own and having your first house and all the wonderful things that go along with those decisions. And so hope can be an uh, incredible joy once it's a longing fulfilled. But the thing about hope, too, is that hope can be dashed when expectations aren't met. And the question is, where are you putting your hope? What are you hoping for? A lot of our disappointments in life result in when we put our hope in things that are other than what God has for us. Or when we've look to God and we've prayed for things that may be outside of his will, but they're things that we desire so much that they become the focal point of our prayers and our thoughts. And sometimes when those things don't happen, we become disappointed and disillusioned. Some people put their hope in their work. How wonderful it is to find a job that you love and that you can do and you can earn a living from, but you know that that can change in a moment's notice. The landscape of our world changes. The economics of things change so quickly that that job can be there one moment and then the next. And can I just say about when it comes to your job, too, if your whole life is wrapped up in your work, when you retire, sometimes it's hard for people because they don't know what to do with themselves because what they were, everything that they are, was tied up in that thing. We have to put our hope somewhere else other than just our job. Some put it in their health. But as we've seen in the last couple of years, that is a shifting shadow that can change from moment to moment. We talked about putting our hope and finding the right person, but if that's all where your hope resides, then when it doesn't work out or when there's a breakup or there's a dissolving of the engagement or something happens and they cheat on you, all of a sudden your whole world comes crashing down. Some put it in money, but that can change from one moment to the next. Some put it in their plans. You know, in the future, we'll do this. Next year, we'll do that. Six months, we'll go to concerts. And another five, we'll go on vacation. We'll go here. We'll go there. But we've noticed that our plans have had to change a lot in the last couple of years. And when you've planned something for so long, I remember a, a family of ours that are that we're friends with, and they had this great Disney vacation planned for February of 2020. And then all that had to go by the wayside completely, you know, no deposit back, all those plans canceled. And there's something that kind of takes the wind out of your sails when your plans go sideways. Or people who graduated from high school last year were hoping to walk with their class and they didn't get a chance to do that. And so if we put our hope in our plans, yes, we'll do this and we'll do that. We're not saying don't make plans, but if our hope is in our plans only, then we'll experience disappointment along the way. Where can we put our hope? And this might seem like a trite answer because we are in the Christmas season, but put our hope in Jesus. Jesus' coming fulfills the definition of hope. Jesus is the embodiment of hope because those who are looking for salvation found it in him. 
those who were outside of God's plan found hope in him. We see that in three ways Jesus fulfills the definition of hope. First, that his first coming was a fulfillment of a hope and a longing that the people of Israel had. Israel was looking for a savior. They were looking for a deliverer. They were looking for a descendant of King David, one who would take the throne of the kingdom of Israel and that he would reign forever and that the people would no longer be persecuted or oppressed, but that he would save the people from their sins. And so the, the longing, the coming of Jesus, which, in which he fulfilled those prophecies, he was born in the place that only the Messiah could be born in. He was uh, born to a virgin. He was born of a certain upbringing. He could, you know, these are things that you couldn't manufacture on your own. They had to be fulfilled according to God's word. And so Israel was looking for its deliverer, and the coming of Jesus was a fulfillment of that hope. It was a fulfillment of prophecy and a reminder that God stayed true to his word. Jesus brought hope to people who needed help. When he came to this earth, when he began his ministry at the age of 30, when he walked this earth, he took time for the people that no one else took time for. The downcast, the sick, the poor, the lame. Those who everyone else overlooked and ignored. Those who, were, who seemed to be outside of God's plan. People that were considered sinners and people not to be associated with whether they were tax collectors or prostitutes or adulterers or people that were liars and thieves and other people that were not necessarily good people, but Jesus came and those people saw him and they found hope. He healed the sick. He spoke words of help and comfort that those who didn't know God could know their heavenly father. And many believed and put their trust in him and put their hope in him. Troubled were comforted, the sick were healed, and the lost were found. People who did not know God could now know him and receive his salvation. Secondly, Jesus gives us hope for today. Christ's eternal words in the gospel tell us that whoever puts his faith in him can have eternal life. Christ offers us forgiveness for our sins and freedom from our shame. That walking around, you know, so much of religion can be shame-based. That, like, not only that before you come to Christ, there's a lot of condemnation that, you know, you need to receive Jesus because you're so bad, you're such a bad person, and condemnation is heaped upon people, and shame is heaped upon them. And then they come to Christ, and they become members of the church, and there's still that little tool of shame that's used to kind of keep people coming back and to keep people dependent upon the church. But Christ came to set us free from shame and from sin. That there's forgiveness for whatever you've done that has really not been great in your life. Things that you intended to do that were wrong and things that you kind of fell into because you fell into the wrong crowd or things that seemed right at the time, but over time you learned that they weren't right at all. And they certainly weren't right for you and those around you. Maybe there's times even when you go and visit your family that you're reminded of how you messed up, reminded of where you're not at, or the subject's brought up about what you aren't instead of what you are. And Christ came to free us from sin and, and to forgive us and set us free from shame. He showed us how to live. He taught us the way 
of the Heavenly Father. He taught us what the Father was like. He said, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. And that's really an eye-opening thing when you think about Jesus. Think about what you know about Jesus in the Gospels. Think about how he spoke to people and interacted with people. And the love and compassion he showed. And Jesus saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we, in Jesus, we see a glimpse of what the Father is like. We see the, the fullness of who he is. And so there are times where we look at God the Father as being a, a ready judge to condemn, looking for us to mess up so that when the time comes, he can judge us. But Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the heart of the Father. And Jesus is an expression of the Father's heart. It was the love of the Father that sent the Son. So when we think about Jesus, we should think about the compassion and love that God has for us. He gave his life for ours. He died a criminal's death on a cross and was buried in a borrowed tomb. But then he overcame death by rising from the dead on the third day, fulfilling exactly what he said he would do. And his resurrection gave proof to his promise that anyone who believes on him would not perish, that he was indeed the resurrection and life, that he who believes in him, even though they die, will still live. It's one thing to hear someone mention and give a promise, but it's so much more meaningful and pertinent when a person fulfills that promise. Jesus said, you know, I'll be laid in the tomb, and just like Jonah, in three days I'll spend my my time in the belly of the earth, just like Jonah was in the belly of the whale. In three days I will rise again. And then he did it. Everything that we believe in, everything that we put our hope in today is a direct result of him fulfilling his promise. When a person fulfills a promise, we have hope because there's trust in the words of the person that made the promise. When they build a history of always keeping their word, then we know them to be trustworthy. And when they tell us something, we put our hope in that. There is a tendency at times that we as adults promise things that we can't often deliver because we're caught up in the moment. Sometimes we do it to our children. Sometimes we do it to others. Uh, and if we feel, sometimes we do it when we feel bad about something. Like if you forgot to call your mother on her birthday or on Thanksgiving, you might promise, you know, next, you know, come December, I'm going to come and visit you. So we make a promise to try and make up for our deficit. Or sometimes with our kids, we'll say, we, we promise to do something for them. We promise that like, they, they want something in the aisle at, at the store. They say, you know, not now. I promise I'll get you for Christmas, and then you forget. Okay. When you promise, and then making a promise because you didn't keep a promise, that's a bad way to go about living. That's not the way you want to make promises. Don't make promises you can't keep to one another just to try and fix something that you maybe you fell short on. Instead, be a person of your word. Be a person that just does what they say they will do when they will do it. Jesus promised that he would rise again from the dead, and he did it. And by doing so, he demonstrated to us that he has the victory and the power over death so that we, too, can have confidence that when we die, that if we are in Christ, that we, too, will live once more. We have the hope that he'll be with us. He gives us hope for today because we know that we're not walking through this life alone. Jesus said to his disciples before he left, he said, Lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. 
But Jesus, you're being taken up into heaven. You're ascending to the throne. You're, you're taking your place at the right hand of the Father. How can you be with us forever? He said, I will send my Holy Spirit. And everyone who has received Christ as Savior has the Holy Spirit inside of them. So we know that God is with us all the time. And he won't leave us or forsake us. That when we pray, he's there. When we're going through something, he is there. It might seem like he doesn't see He doesn't know or he doesn't care. But if you are in Christ, I promise you today that he is with you even when it doesn't feel like it. The third way Jesus gives hope is that he gives us hope for the future. Whether we die and we go to heaven and see the Lord or whether we see the Lord's return, we will be with him forever in eternity. Jesus is coming again. One of the core teachings of the early church is that the Lord would come again to establish his kingdom forever. An eternal kingdom that would have no end. There would be no overthrowing of this kingdom. There would be no election to put a different person in power. There would be no army that could overthrow this kingdom. But that this kingdom would be an enduring kingdom, both physical and spiritual, with God as its head and with all the blessings of heaven associated with it. A kingdom that would come and that would never end, and that he would judge the wicked and put an end to wickedness and evil in this world. We see a world that's just ravaged by evil. We see the different things that happen in our world today, and we're either disgusted by it or put off by it or deeply grieved by it. And we say, doesn't God see? Doesn't God know or care? And the, the coming of Christ, the, the looking forward to his return, is the blessed hope that he will return and right every wrong and establish things that need to be established with righteousness and goodness forevermore. This hope is the hope of countless Christians through the ages, through the centuries. The return of Jesus has always been something that the church has put their hope in and know it to be something that could happen imminently and at any moment, at any moment Christ could return. Why then do we become discouraged and lose hope? It could be because we're putting our hope in something we want God to do for us rather than putting our hope in Him. Disappointment and discouragement comes when the things we put our hope in fail to materialize and don't happen. When prayers go unanswered, when our future unchanged, we seem stuck and we are disappointed. But our focal point needs to be upon the Lord and what he wants us to do, not what we want him to do. You know, even John the Baptist said, you know, he must increase and I must decrease. He must become greater and I must become less. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he was uh, the night before his death, he says, not my will, but yours be done. Do we have the heart and the attitude and say, you know, God, there are things that I want. There's hopes that I have. And believe me, as you walk with the Lord at any period of time in your life, as you walk with him and as you love him and as you serve him, along the way you will find God will bring into your life those wonderful joys, those wonderful answers to prayer, those those blessings that can only come from his hand. But they only come when we lose ourselves in who he is instead of focusing on all the things that we want from him. It's when we, you know, God doesn't want to share the throne with anything else. 
And there are times where things that we want become such the focal point of our thoughts and prayers that I almost think that God could be jealous for that. That, that the only time you talk to me is when you want something. If you had a friend that called you, and the only thing, time that they would call you is when they were asking for money or for your help with something, you'd immediately stop and say, well, I'm not so sure about this friendship. This feels one-sided. It feels like there's no give and take on that. And we probably wouldn't always take those calls if those were the calls that we were getting or respond to those texts or emails. Think about what our relationship with Christ, though. Do, do we serve him and love him for who he is? When we pray to him, when we bring our prayers to him, and believe me, we pray, and there are things that we're praying for, we're hoping for, whether it be people to, to become well, or people to be provided for, or needs to be met, or people to be saved, and we pray for those things, and we should continue to pray for those things. But to love God enough to say, God, I'm trusting you that you're going to work it out. I'm trusting you that you know what's best in this situation, even if I want to kind of step in and try and rearrange what you're doing because I don't feel like you're doing it the way it should be done or you're not doing it as quickly as I would like it to be. We have to say, God, it's your, whatever your will is, I will do it. What do you want me to do? And I'll do those things. Yes, there'll be moments of disappointment and discouragement, but our hope is not in those temporary things, but on the eternal promise of salvation in Jesus alone. Whether those things happen or not, hear me today when I say they don't negate what Jesus did for you on the cross. I want you to think about that for a minute. Yeah, but my prayer didn't get answered. Yeah, but I didn't get the job. Yeah, I didn't, but the things didn't happen the way I wanted it to, this or that. They don't negate for a moment who God is or what he did for you on the cross. Think about it. On the cross, he atoned for our sins. He broke Satan's claim to us. He overcame death, and he took his place by God the, the Father at the right hand of the Father in heaven, and that all of that is much bigger than anything that we would have ever faced on our own. What Jesus did for us on the cross is so much greater than any prayer that we'll utter, any hope that we have, any longing that we will hope to have fulfilled. It's so much greater than all that, and he did all that on the cross. Which, by the way, on the cross, he did that so that you could have access to God to ask these things of the Father. So know that his power is greater. What he did is so much more than anything we could ever imagine or face. And it's bigger than anything we could face right now. We have to put our hope on him and him alone and not on our circumstances. When we're hopeless and restless, when we're anxious about the future, when we're discouraged by our present situation, I remember the words of that passage in Isaiah. It's something my wife reminded me about last night, that he shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. That he's still God with us. Even though Jesus' work on earth was done and he's not physically with us anymore, there's no Jesus we can go and visit and, and hug and hold on to and embrace or talk to. Even though his work on earth is done, his work in us is not. And through it all, he's still with us. Through the trials, through the troubles, through the difficulties, he is still there and he is our hope. And hope is not something that we can work up in ourselves. 
It's not a gift we can give ourselves. It has to come from outside of us. Hope is a gift that is given to us by God, and it's in the person of Jesus. Can I put our attention on where hope should direct us today as I wrap this up? Hope doesn't look backwards. It doesn't look to your past. There are times where there's moments where you had great celebrations and great blessings in your life, and you can look to the past and find encouragement in that, but that's not hope. In fact, sometimes looking in the past makes you discouraged for the present. It's like, I remember the Thanksgivings we used to have. Remember the Christmases we used to have. And you look at your present situation and go, oh, that's not nearly as great as it was. And so sometimes looking backwards doesn't give us much hope. In fact, it just makes us feel bad. Hope doesn't look at the present either, where things are now. Because sometimes when we're looking at the way things are now, you might be looking at your current situation saying, you know, there's not a lot I can put my hope in. I'm feeling pretty discouraged. I'm feeling pretty down. I don't know if things are going to work out. And so there are times where looking at our present, we just don't see a way out. We don't see any hope. Hope always, always looks to the future and to what is yet to come. And when you realize that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that he holds the future in his hands, you can know that you can find your hope and you put your faith and trust in him and his faith well-placed. God does not dwell in our current situation. He dwells in eternity. He sees past, present, and future. And he knows what's going to happen ahead of time. And so there are times where we're like, well, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but he is the same. You can put your faith in the unchanging nature of who Jesus is. And if he was the same back then, when you first got saved, he's the same today when you're discouraged. And he's going to be the same tomorrow when you hope and pray for things that have yet to be realized. You can put your hope and faith in the fact that Jesus is still a person of his word and his love for you is unchanging and that he still cares for you and loves you. Hope is available for the hopeless. Help is available for the helpless. Christmas is a season of hope, but you may not be feeling very hopeful today. Can I encourage you to put your hope not on the next thing that you hope can bring you happiness, but on the one who is your hope for salvation in the future. Put your hope in him and put your time in his hands. Can we just close our eyes for a moment as we close this service today? In a moment, I'm just going to pray, but are you feeling hopeless today? Are you feeling discouraged and downcast? Certainly there's moments where you can feel like that where things don't quite come together the way you thought they were going to come together. Maybe a purchasing of a home fell through. Maybe a job fell through. Maybe a relationship just broke up and things didn't quite work out the way you thought. Or you prayed for something and it didn't happen. Maybe you're feeling just really downcast and discouraged. This morning I want to encourage you to put your hope in the one who has given you life and salvation the one who gives us wisdom when we ask for it, the one who speaks to us and directs us if we listen to the Spirit today. I want to encourage you today. If you're discouraged, there is hope. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and the front will be open for those who 
would like to come and receive prayer. If you're discouraged and in need of hope, there'll be people here to pray with you, myself included. But if you're feeling hopeless today, put your hope in Christ and he will help you. Can we pray? Let's pray. Jesus, your arrival meant hope. Hope for those who are oppressed and persecuted. They longed and waited for your coming. When you came, you were a hope and a longing fulfilled. You brought hope. You saved, you delivered, you healed. You helped people look to God and to to believe and trust you. And this morning I pray, Lord, would you help those that are feeling hopeless, discouraged, and downcast? Would you help those who need it today? Would you grant them the help they need and the hope they need? Lord, lift their hearts and their spirits. Help them to look to you, Lord, for the future. And Lord, I pray even as they go into this Christmas season and it might be clouded by uh, the overcast of sadness and, and sorrow, I just pray that you would just be that light in the darkness to help them during this difficult time. May they look to you and find hope, fulfillment, and grace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us Sunday mornings to worship with us. We are located at 267 College Highway in Southwick, Massachusetts. For more information about Living Hope Church, visit us online at www.livinghopechurchag.org.